Rejoice! There's a lot of good news of a great joy. Uh, last night was spectacular. This morning, what a great gift of, that music has been to us. We actually have a little more good news to share with you. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Gunner uh, to come out here. Where did he go? Pastor Gunner! <laughs> oh, there we go. She's right there looking for you. So, yes, Gunner and Amy have some good news that they would like to share with you. Yeah, um, well, I don't know how to lead into it other than uh, Amy's pregnant and we're having our first baby. So, <laughs> we thought to add a little bit more fun, uh, why don't we do a gender reveal this morning? So, we'll take a vote. How many think that the uh, Tesdall baby is going to be a boy? Raise your hands. How many think a girl? Raise your hand. Ah, all right. Well, drum roll, please, and let's take a look at the screen for our gender reveal. The Tesdall baby will be a girl. <laughs> it's what we always wanted for Christmas, so. Yeah. Would you join me in prayer for for Gunner and Amy, Lord, we thank you so much for this great gift. We consider it a miracle. Every one of these little children is a miracle of yours. And, and so thank you for uh, adding to their family and adding to our family. We pray your health, your blessing upon Amy as she carries this child to term. Thanks for the good report of the, of the baby's health even now. And, and Lord, we just pray that you will prepare them for what it means to parent their daughter in this time and age. Um, Lord, fill them with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One more celebration for them. As... My in-laws uh, loved to travel when my father-in-law Boyd was still alive. They traveled all around the world, had lots of adventures to show for it. They tell of one time when they were in Italy and they were exploring the back streets of Rome when suddenly they found themselves surrounded by a mob of kids. And they began to jostle them and separate them. Pretty soon, Boyd and Peggy were separated so far they couldn't even see each other. And it was in this confusion, this melee, that one of the girls grabbed Peggy's purse and began to run away, away with her purse. Peggy shouted, Boyd! And he turned around in time to see the little girl running right towards him. He grabbed her, grabbed the purse. They made their way out of there. And as you can imagine, it was a very harrowing experience. Turns out that these kids were uh, part of a group called Roma, and you might know them by another name, Gypsies. Gypsies. Uh, the Roma or the Gypsies do not have a country of their own. They travel, they're nomadic, going from place to place, often making their uh, living through music. Um, they, for, for good or for ill, whether right or wrong, they have been branded by much of Europe as thieves, as, as con artists. And when you're traveling in certain areas, you're often warned to watch out for them, to keep an eye out for them. In my travels in Europe, I would say there's, uh, I don't think there's another ethnic group that is more despised, more mistrusted, more disdained than the Roma, than the Gypsies. They are near the bottom of the social totem pole. Now turn the clock back 2,000 years, and all you need to do is replace the word gypsies with the word shepherds. 
and you'll understand how shepherds were viewed in first century Palestine. The only ones lower on the Jewish totem pole were lepers and tax collectors. That's saying a lot. And they were only barely lower. Shepherds also were nomadic. They had no uh, place, no permanent home, and this made everyone suspicious of them. They had a reputation for preying upon the pilgrims, the travelers in the land, robbing them and abusing them. Shepherds were considered a necessary evil because, well, they ate a lot of lamb in those days and they had to sacrifice a lot of sheep as well. But the shepherds at the time of Jesus were despised and discriminated against. In fact, the testimony of a shepherd was not even considered admissible in a a court of law. They were not persons. That's who they were. And yet, on the greatest night that the world had ever seen... The night that God came on to earth as a child on a rescue mission, it was the lowly, stinky, despised, suspicious shepherds who were invited to witness this event. In fact, they were the only witnesses that night in spite of our traditions. The Magi, the wise men whom we spoke of last week, they didn't show up for another two years. No, it was God chose these unlikely witnesses, those who would never have even been recognized in a court of law, to testify to the greatest event that had happened in human history, the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. And as we read our story, we're going to discover that they received an incredible gift that night, a gift that they continue to pass on down through the generations to our very present moment. Listen for that gift as we read this familiar passage from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. The other night I was jolted awake by a strange sound in our house. I didn't know what it was. I actually got up. I was looking around to see what it might have been. If you've ever been jolted awake from a deep sleep by either the lights being turned on or by a noise that you wouldn't expect, well then you can appreciate the experience of the shepherds that night as they drowsed in their fields near Bethlehem. We are not told the name of the heavenly messenger, not at this point, although one chapter earlier we are told that the angel who appeared to Mary had a name. Remember what his name was? Gabriel, right. And in fact, every time uh, an angel, a spokesperson, angel, speaks out for God, he is always named Gabriel. So we're just going to go ahead and call this angel Gabriel. Gabriel appeared to the shepherds that night in the fields that were there near Bethlehem, and he, the first words out of his mouth were the most wasted breath ever spoken by angels. 
What were the words that he first spoke that were the wasted words? Fear not. Right. Every angel that ever speaks to a human being starts off by saying, fear not. And every human being, when, when they see the angel, does what? Fears. They are terrified. So like I said, it's a wasted words, but I suppose it was the protocol. Okay, Gabriel had to say it. So he said, fear not. And then he presses on. For behold, I bring you good news of great, what? Joy. It wasn't just joy. It was great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. I'm only speculating here, but I'll bet there wasn't a lot of joy in those shepherds' lives. They were poor. They were disreputable. They were rejected at every turn. I imagine they would have had some of the joy that's common to every human experience, the love for each other, the love for their children, and for their grandchildren, but as far as the rest of their life, I suspect it had been a long time since they had experienced great joy. It makes me wonder about us this day. There's some for whom I'm sure Christmas is a time of great joy and you're delighting in all of it, but um, I know that there are others who would say that their joy tank is on empty. Because I've spoken with many of you this week. We sing a carol, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And it's a lovely carol, but is it the reality in your life this day? I buried two people last weekend. I spoke to a third woman who had just discovered her husband dead on the floor. I uh, spoke yesterday to a, a daughter who is putting her father, a long-term Chapel Hill member and elder, into hospice care and they only believe they have a few days left with him. And for these families, the music that plays on the radio seems almost a mockery. Have a holly jolly Christmas, it declares. Holly jolly Christmas. But for some people, Christmas is the least jolly time of the year. And yet, the promise to perhaps joyless shepherds, the promise that comes down to us even this day is that Emmanuel, God with us, Our true Christmas presence, he wants to bring us not just joy, but great joy. Great joy. What would it look like for every one of us, no matter the circumstance of our life, to be experiencing great joy? Let me warn you, it is not just the happy, fuzzy, bubbly feelings that one might expect. Especially in this early story, we discover that the great joy of the gospel, the great joy that Gabriel announced to the shepherds, had three pieces that might surprise you. The great joy of that first Christmas was subversive, it was personal, and it was chosen. Subversive, personal, and chosen. Let's take a look at each of those three as I see it, and perhaps you'll find it as well. First of all, Christmas joy is subversive. And you'll say, that is a weird way. I've never heard that described uh, before. I don't see any of that on a Christmas card. Well, you know, have a very subversive Christmas Uh, but I want you to stick with me on this. At the time that Jesus was born, the most powerful man in the world was the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus. You've heard his name. He's perhaps the most famous of all of the Roman emperors. Probably should have been because he was the first of the Roman emperors, Caesar Augustus. He reigned for 41 years. He was effective, powerful, and uh, and he, held, he expanded the power of Rome and the, the reach of Rome during four decades on its throne. 
And Augustus was the first Roman emperor, the first person to encourage the cult of emperor worship. In other words, he allowed himself to be declared divine. Augustus, Caesar Augustus, was a god as far as he and his empire were concerned. Early dictators, every dictator likes to have nice things said about them. In fact, they kind of insist on it. Uh, and they usually have PR departments to ensure that nice things and only nice things are being said about them. And Augustus was no different. We actually have press releases, clippings, if you will, although they're chipped into stone, that were put out that uh, extolled the virtues of Caesar Augustus. I want you to listen to a couple of, a couple of these inscriptions. For instance, they said Augustus was a god who was, whose, quote, birthday signaled the beginning of good news for the world. His birthday signaled the beginning of good news for the world. By the way, the word good news in Greek, euangelion. What word do we get from that? Evangelism. The evangel. So he's an evangelist, the good news to the whole world. There's another inscription that has been uncovered about Augustus where it says that he was the son of Zeus, son of God, and a savior of the common folk, a leader who would make peace, and he would elicit fond hopes for the future and good will during the present, which fills all men so that they ought to be, bear pleasing sacrifices and hymns. So, the birth of Augustus, we are told by his PR people, was good news for the world. He was the savior of the world. For all common folk, he would bring peace and goodwill that fills all men's heart. And that news deserved to be sung about and praised. Hmm. Where have we heard something like that before? Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Every time we hear Gabriel in the Christmas pageant pronounce these words, we all smile and say to ourselves, isn't that sweet? But that message that night, it was not sweet at all. It was subversive. The message was, there is only one Son of God who is a Savior to the whole world. Only one who will bring peace and goodwill to the earth. And it isn't the guy sitting in Rome. It is the baby lying in the feed trough in a few hundred yards from you. If Roman authorities had heard someone making these claims, that person might have been executed for treason because this was a violation of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. But Gabriel apparently wasn't too concerned about being arrested and he made the bold declaration that this baby's kingdom would upend every other authority in earth. He is the only one to be trusted. He is the one to be followed. He is the one to be praised for he alone is Savior. What's that mean for us today? Here's what it means. It means our Savior does not sit in the White House and he never has. Our Savior does not sit in the State House, and He never has. 
We Christians ought to do our part as good citizens to elect people best suited to the job. But when we Christians pin all our hopes on a person or on a party, when our spirits rise and fall depending upon who is in office, we are in danger of idolatry. Because the joyous birth of Jesus Christ subverts all earthly power. The great joy of Jesus is subversive. It is also personal. When Gabriel appeared to those bottom-of-the-heap shepherds with the birth announcement, I want you to listen carefully to how he said it. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The good news of great joy at Christmas is first of all to and for the shepherds. Yes, it was for all the world. It was for all people, true enough. But first of all, it was for the shepherds. It was personal. And I wonder if you realize how life-affirming, how life-giving, how valuing that would have felt to them. These people who were typically ignored or despised. These people who barely had any value to society. A society that held them at arm's length. These smelly nobodies who would never have been admitted into the coolest of the clubs. They were on God's A-list that night. God's joyous news to them was, I know the world despises you. I love you. I know the world suspects you. I trust you. I know the world considers you worthless. I value you. No one had ever spoken that kindly to those shepherds. It was good news of great joy. The real joy of Christmas is personal. Not just for the whole world, not just for the whole church, not just for your gathered family. The real joy of Christmas is for you and you and you and you and you. One at a time. Personal. No matter how marginalized you feel, no matter how worthless you feel, no matter how filthy or irreligious or shameful you feel, the joy of Jesus is for you. Personally. This day in the city of Gig Harbor is born to you a Savior. Christmas joy is subversive. It is personal. And finally, I want you to notice this. It is chosen. It is chosen. Listen to the rest of the story. We pick it up, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I think it was one of my life group members this week that pointed out something I don't know that I'd ever seen before. Gabriel, the angel, never exactly orders them to go to Bethlehem. 
He never tells them that they should go do this. He doesn't say, go to Bethlehem and find the child wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. He told them that if they would do that, that's what they would find. But he never commanded them to go. It was more of an invitation. And it strikes me that there was a turning point where the shepherd's experience became their joy. And it was verse 15 where we read, they turned to one another, they looked at one another and said, let us go. Let us go. It is a point of decision, a point of choosing. And that decision changed their lives. After visiting Jesus, we read, they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The good news of great joy captured their hearts, captured their lives, changed their purpose and mission for the rest of their life and down into eternity. It was a message that they had to share because they had been transformed by it. The pronouncement, the invitation to come to Jesus, to discover his good news of great joy, it started with God, didn't it? It wasn't their idea. It always starts with God. The initiative to save us always starts with God. That's what we Presbyterians believe, that the initiative starts with God. But the shepherds had to choose to respond. They had to choose to say, let us go. I believe that Christian joy, not the bubbly, fuzzy, fizzy kind, but true Christian joy is often and maybe even usually chosen. It is a decision of heart and mind that says, I could live in fear, I could live in despair, I could live in depression or discouragement, but I will choose joy. Every Sunday morning I do a mic check up here, and I've done it for 33 years, and I quote the same psalm, Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord has made, let us Rejoice and be glad in it. The psalmist calls us to choose to joy. Choose to rejoice. And I want to tell you, I, I speak these words to myself nearly every day. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. But I struggle with occasional bouts of depression and anxiety, and I always have. That's just the truth of it. I don't like that part of my personality. I wish it weren't so. I wish I could say calmer. I wish I could remain internally hopeful more than I do sometimes. But it is my wiring, and I have fought it for most of my 65 years. And part of my battle against despair has been to repeatedly, intentionally choose joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Once recently, when I was feeling really stressed about something that might happen, my dear wife and guru, Cindy said, are you going to let what might happen tomorrow steal your joy today? That's a very convicting question. Then the answer I want to give and I want to seek to live is no. I know I will not. No, I will not let the enemy steal today's joy for tomorrow's imagined fear. I even use music in this. Uh, 
Cindy's really good about this, but there are times when I'm feeling like joy, uh, my joy's trying to be stolen, the enemy's trying to take that away from me, that I'll, I will sing. And you might be surprised at some of the songs that I choose. I often revert back to some of my goofiest old youth songs to remind me of the joy of the Lord. For instance, this one. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. How many ever sang that in camp? Yeah. I know it's, it's probably not playing on any uh, Christian channel today, but I will sometimes break out singing. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. I, I, even, um, I even learned it in... Spanish, because we did it in a Mexico mission, on our Mexico mission trips. Yo tengo gozo, 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 gozo in mi corazón. ¿Dónde? En mi corazón. ¿Dónde? En mi corazón. ¿Por qué corazón That gives me some joy. By, by the way, my favorite verse probably of that song is, I have the bubbling belief that baffles Buddhists down in my heart. The shepherds had a choice after they received this invitation. They could have said, nah, man, wasn't that amazing? Now let's go back to sleep. Or they could say, let us go. Let us go and experience this great joy for our lives. And I suspect there will be many who are going to come through the doors of this church in this season. Maybe some of them were here last night. Who They hear this message, who receive this invitation from God, who are stirred and moved by the moment and who desperately need this great joy in their lives. But after the excitement wears down, after the candles go out, they ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something with it, to respond to it. They re ignore the Holy Spirit's call, go, go, to receive personally this subversive message of Jesus that brings us real peace and real hope and real life-changing joy. And they will put away their Christmas decorations and they will return to their lives of vain toil that never give them what they are really longing for. And the voice of, angel, of Gabriel would cry out to you, don't let you be that person. I've got good news of great joy for you. We thank you for this, this pronouncement, Lord, a pronouncement over the least and the lost of that generation. Those who were despised and rejected, they were precious to you. And you said, you, you shepherds, you who no one likes, who no one tolerates, you, I've got good news for you, good news of great joy. Father, I know there are people here who are living in joy. They... The joy of the Lord is their strength. And so I thank you that they are experiencing that. But there are many here this day who are not experiencing that joy. They are in despair. They are discouraged. They don't think themselves worthy. They find something that they have done shameful. And so it, it tears them down, bears them down. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you will do what you have offered to do, that you will bring into our hearts this good news of great joy, that you will bring to bloom the, this fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. It's the second one only after love. Love, joy, peace, patience. Bring us joy this day. Help the joy of the Lord to be our strength, whether our circumstances are joyous or whether our circumstances are hard. Would you meet every one of us this day? May we walk out of here 
buoyed by the joy of the Lord. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.